0: Well, good morning, good morning, and a very uh, warm welcome to you in the name of the Lord Jesus as we gather uh, to worship together. Uh, a warm welcome to you if you're in the building or if you're following along online, it's wonderful to have you with us. If you are here in the building, please do stay afterwards for some refreshments in the, in the back hall as we uh, spend some time together in fellowship to encourage one another from, from what we've heard during the service or maybe how the Lord's been ministering to you uh, through the week. We want to try and encourage one another to build one another up in love. And as we think about uh, this morning, we're beginning a new series uh, entitled uh, The Journey to the Cross as we think about uh, heading towards Easter uh, we're looking at the Gospel of John, uh, and Jeff will be speaking to us uh, as we examine who Jesus is and why that matters to each of us today. And so as we come to worship God this morning, let us, let us hear his voice from Psalm 24 as we come to meet with him this morning. The Psalmist David, he writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in any idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. As we come before the Lord, we're reminded that in Psalm 24, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in your holy presence, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. I wonder, as we look back on this past week, or maybe even today, Can we say this in our hearts, that we have a clean and a pure heart, that we have not trusted in other things, in other things other than the Lord. Let us come before the Lord in confession, that we would receive his pardon as a good and gracious king. Let me pray. Father God, we do pray that you would forgive us for the times in which we have strayed from your ways, from, we, from when we have uh, sought impure things, and when our minds and our lives have drifted in that way, when we have sought to rely on other things other than you. Mm. And we thank you that we can come into your holy presence because of Jesus, who is our good and gracious King, who has forgiven us that we might come and sing your praises. We give you thanks in his name. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you that you hold us through the night, that you keep us in all the darkness, that you hold us fast in the Lord Jesus. I thank you that he is the king, the king of glory, the Lord of all things. And yet he is also gentle and lowly in heart. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we come to you, we come as your children, as those who have been uh, purchased by you, that we can draw close to you, knowing that you hear our cries, that you hear our prayers. And we pray, Lord, for those who are burdened at this time, who are struggling. Uh, we pray for those who are undergoing uh, treatment and tests. And we pray, Father, for those who are struggling in different ways, struggling in uh, exhaustion, uh, struggling in ongoing uh, battles with uh, long COVID, with uh, problems in family. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, help them to rest in you. Help us to take a moment now just to lift up those on our hearts uh, to you. And Lord, we do pray that you would help each of us to, to throw ourselves upon you, upon your grace, your love, and your comfort, that we would find strength and peace in you. And as we look outwards, Father, we we do pray for uh, outreach events coming up. We pray for uh, adventurers this Friday as well, for opportunity to invite uh, many uh, young families along. We pray for uh, the dads and tots this Saturday as well, for many men uh, to build relationships and hear something of the Lord Jesus. We pray for the men's curry night too on Tuesday the 21st of March, uh, that people would see life to the full is found in you. Uh, We pray, Father, uh, for many that would come along to that, that they would find hope, peace and purpose in you. We give you thanks, Lord, for for our leadership and we pray and continue to pray for uh, Neil and Liz as they uh, are on holiday this week. We pray that it would be a refreshing time. Pray too for Sarb and Karen as well, that their time away would be a, a true refreshment, that they would come back with full hearts, giving praise to you. Help us, Lord, as, as pastors, as elders, as ministry leaders, to walk in love, in humility, and in unity together, that we would know that we are only where we are by your grace. We pray, too, for, for future leaders. We pray for a future elder, for a servant-hearted man to be part of the church Uh, Here to serve your church here. We pray for for more uh, leaders to step in. We pray too for for others who are serving you abroad. We pray for Josh and Helen in Egypt. We pray for their continual learning of, of Arabic. We pray that you would help them to settle into their new home and to continue to build good gospel connections there as they share their lives and share the good news of Jesus. We pray to, as we think of other nations, we pray for Ukraine. We pray that you would bring peace to that place, Lord. And we pray for those who are suffering, suffering both in Ukraine and in Russia. And we pray, Father, that you would bring peace. We pray for, for those who are struggling in places like Syria and Turkey with the extreme uh, conditions as a result of the earthquake. And we pray, Father, for for good Christian agencies to provide uh, physical and help as well as uh, medical help uh, that, that they would be able to hold out the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus as we see a world which is under judgment, groin- groaning under the weight of sin we pray for our leaders we pray that you would uh, help them Lords, in engaging in such matters internationally, we pray for local leaders, we pray for a prime minister as well Lord, that that they would uh, turn to you, that he would turn to you and know you as Lord and Savior. We pray for, for Christians in politics, in all the various places of influence and power that they have. We pray that you would help them to stand strong in the heavy pressures upon them and that they would continue to share the hope that they have in Jesus, that they would work with integrity for you. We pray especially for the political leadership contest in Scotland that uh, Kate Forbes would continue to stand for you, Lord, as she seeks nomination to be the first minister there. Would you continue to help her to follow you fearlessly? And Lord, as, as Sarah comes to read your word from John 18 and Jeff comes to preach, may we hear your voice in the power of the Spirit that we would be transformed by you. May we know the confidence that it is to see that you are in control of our life, and that we can have that freedom, peace, and joy that only you bring. And we ask this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: John chapter 18, which in the Church Bibles is page 1086, and in the large print, 1647. So reading verse 1 to 14. Jesus arrested. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, "'Who is it you want?' "'Jesus of Nazareth,' they replied. "'I am he,' Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, "'I am he,' they drew back and fell to the ground." Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, And struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. Caiaphas! was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people.
2: Thank you very much, Sarah. That's great. If you could uh, just keep your Bibles open at that passage, that would be really, really helpful as we work our way through it. Should we just pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for... Um, the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that you've shown that when the two come together, Lord, you change lives and you open our hearts. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that you would change our lives, that, Lord, our hearts would be opened, our eyes would be opened, that we might see things that we've never seen before. And, uh, Father, I just pray for your blessing on the words that I say. So use me in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, this is... um, second sermon, in a sense, in our series leading up to Easter. A couple of weeks ago, Saab was preaching from the first chapter of Matthew, um, which contains the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The main lesson that came out of that was the sovereignty of God to bring about the purposes, his purposes, despite human weakness and sin. This week, we're looking at a different aspect of the sovereignty of God, as recorded by a different gospel writer. John is the only eyewitness gospel writer, and his target readers are Gentile and not Jewish. John states the purpose of his biography of Jesus is that his readers may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And most commentators would also say that uppermost in John's writing is his desire to reveal the divine nature of Jesus. After the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, former protection officer to the late Queen, Richard Griffin, told this humorous story. One day, when they were in Balmoral on holiday, the Queen decided to go for a walk around the castle grounds. She asked Richard if she would like to come along with her, which he did. Her Majesty was dressed in a headscarf and tweeds, and after a while they came across two American tourists on a hike. Richard recalls that the Queen would always stop to say hello. It was clear they had not recognized her. The American man asked her if she lived in the area, to which she replied, indeed, she did have a house nearby. (laughs) She said that she lived in London, but had a house over the hill. Um, he asked her how often she'd been coming up here, and she said that she'd been coming for more than 80 years. He said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. As quick as a flash, she said, well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly. (laughs) Dick goes on, the next thing I know, this guy comes round, puts his arm round my shoulder and gives the camera to the Queen and asks her to take a photo of us. Then we swap places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen. We never let on, and waved goodbye. Then Her Majesty said to me that she would love to be a fly on the wall when they showed the photos to their American friends. (laughs) And hopefully somebody will tell them who I am. (laughs) John wants to make it absolutely clear just who Jesus is, so that there's no mistake. American friends may not have recognized Her Majesty the Queen, but we cannot afford to miss his majesty, the king of heaven. So we begin our passage with the words, when he, that's Jesus, um, had finished praying. Jesus and his disciples had just celebrated Passover in the upper room, followed by a time of teaching and prayer. When Jesus had finished, he got up with the disciples and left the upper room. They were headed for a quiet place, somewhere familiar, a garden away from the crowds and yet not somewhere that was difficult to find, because it was time for Jesus to hand himself over. To get there, they had to cross the Kidron Valley, um, down a very steep slope from Jerusalem, and then up a bit on the other side to get to the garden. They went to a garden they often went to, identified as Gethsemane by the other gospel writers. It is located on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives And its name means oil press It is there to this day And John wants us to know this is a real place A real event with real people If you go to Israel today you can see these very places That are mentioned here And indeed throughout the whole of the Bible This garden was somewhere that Judas the betrayer was familiar with as he'd been there many times before. So Jesus is laying open the scene for his arrest and he's inviting his enemies as if by setting a trap, but the trap was for his own arrest. The garden scene is reminiscent of that first garden scene in Eden. In it, Adam hid from the Lord because of his disobedience. Here, Jesus' the second Adam reveals himself to his enemies in his obedience to the Lord. Matthew records Jesus' prayer to his father in the garden. And Matthew 26 says, Not my will, but yours be done. The restoration of what was lost in Eden was beginning to play out in Gethsemane. Not God's will, not man's will, but God's be done. So here's Jesus with 11 of his disciples in the garden when Judas, the 12th disciple, appears. But he doesn't come on his own. He's not following Jesus like the others. He doesn't come with an apology for coming late. No, he has another motive for being there. He has another motive for being there. And his motive is, in fact, money. He'd always been around Jesus Um, And the reason that he was around, Jesus really was not because he was his Lord and Savior, but because he liked money. He would do anything to get money. Oh, he'd mask it by complaining about wasting money on perfume and helping the poor. But Jesus saw straight through him. John 2 says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So why did Jesus call Judas to follow him if he knew all people? John 6 says, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, Simon, son of Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. Here's the shocking truth. Jesus chose his own betrayer from day one. Let me say that again. Jesus chose his own betrayer from day one. And here's another staggering truth. He chose his betrayer from before the world began. 1 Peter 1 says, Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect... He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. The plan of salvation was planned before the the foundation of the world. Judas was chosen to be part of that plan before the foundation of the world. Gethsemane was planned in heaven. What kind of God? What kind of person? would do a thing like that Judas never expected his betraying Jesus would end in his death that was not his intention he just saw it as an opportunity to get some hands on his on some get his hands on some cash Matthew 27 says that when Judas who who had betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. No plea for forgiveness, just remorse. Matthew 6 says, no one can serve two masters. Judas would have heard this. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Judas heard that sermon and he ignored it. He probably kidded himself that he can indeed do both despite what Jesus said. 1 Timothy 6 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and he will see it in all its horribleness. So Judas was chosen by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry folded into the life of the disciples and went undetected by them until now. It says in verse 3 that Judas came to the garden with a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Do you know how many soldiers they were in a detachment? Anybody got any idea how many soldiers in a detachment? See when you read the scriptures you kind of gloss over these words. A detachment was 600 soldiers. The authority sent 600 men Fully trained, armed, and equipped soldiers to rescue this one, to to arrest this one man. That's three. On a good day in this church, we can get 200 people. Can you just imagine three times the number of people in this church when it's packed? All fully trained Roman soldiers. Three times the number of people in this building, all wielding torches, lanterns, and in military uniform. The question is, why did they come with such force? Well, they could have been expecting a lot of resistance, even though there was no evidence that that was going to be the case. There had never even been a scuffle, let alone any uprising around Jesus. So why did they send so many people? Probably, most likely, The elders had been exasperated at their failure to catch Jesus. And so they turned to military might for the solution. That could not fail. Nobody had ever heard of the Romans being defeated. They were undefeatable. This plan was sure to succeed. It says, many times the Jews had tried to kill Jesus, but he just slipped away. John eight fifty eight says, very truly I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And in John 10 it says, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. We're not stoning you for any good work, but because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. This time, the leaders thought there must be, there cannot be any escape. Who could possibly just slip away from 600 trained men, skilled Roman soldiers? Even if there was an uprising, 600 men would sure make short work of any rebellion. So picture the scene. 600 Roman soldiers, some officials from the chief priests and Judas standing just outside the garden. Jesus and the disciples inside the garden watching this great crowd appear in the dark night. Maybe the soldiers had surrounded the garden already to escape, to prevent any escape. John 18, 4 says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out to them and asked them, who is it that you want? No, he didn't send Peter or John out. He went out himself and presented himself to them like a lamb to the slaughter. Who is it you want? The question seemed to hang in the air. Jesus of Nazareth, Again, a pause. Silence came over the crowd as they waited for the reply. Torches burning, smoke stinging their eyes, the clink of armor piercing the tense stillness of the moment. Every warrior's hand nestling into the hilts of their swords, preparing for an attack and a fight. Then Jesus replied, I am he, literally, I am. John 18, 6 says, When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. It doesn't appear very dramatic, but just picture the scene. 600 Roman soldiers and Jewish leaders and Judas all lying on the ground, on their backs, unable to move. The Greek word here means literally pinned to the ground, They were literally pinned to the ground, unable to move, with Jesus calmly standing over them. He could have just walked over their bodies and out into the night, but he didn't. Remember, John is recording real people, real places, real events in real time. This is no hero tale. Remember, there was a time on the Sea of Galilee when a raging storm threatened to sink the boat they were in. It says the disciples woke Jesus saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Then Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? 600 Roman soldiers lying at his feet. What do you think? The answer Jesus gave in the garden that night was the clearest and most unambiguous answer he'd ever given about his identity. There could be no mistaking it for anything other than that he was indeed the great I am. Revealed to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3 says... God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Jesus claimed this name for himself. This man standing over the fallen bodies of a detachment of Roman soldiers was nobody less than the God of the universe, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham and Isaac. He was the one and only true God. Jesus, then, is the author of the whole creation, every bit of it. Jesus is the designer and architect of every atom and every molecule. He's the creator of DNA, of gravity, oxygen, water, photosynthesis, blood, diamonds, You name it, he made it all from nothing. He simply said, let there be, and there was, the power of his word. No wonder there are 600 soldiers lying pinned to the ground, unable to move, because of the power of his name. Real people, real place, real event, eyewitness account. These things are written that you may believe this is Jesus of Nazareth standing over his enemies pinned to the ground incapacitated until Jesus releases them so that they can take him away to be crucified he has absolute power over them Psalm 36 says see evildoers lie fallen thrown down not able to rise Jesus was in full control of every second of this drama in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus said in John 10 no one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to take it lay it down and to take it up again The Bible doesn't say what caused these men to fall and to remain pinned to the ground. They may have seen a vision of Jesus in his glory. They may have seen the armies of heaven or they may have just had their strength removed. We just don't know. So the one who bears the name above all other names unpins these men from the ground and gives them the strength to do what they have come to do. You can just imagine them shaking their heads, murmuring, what What just happened? Once again, Jesus asks them, who is it that you want? They reply, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. Jesus' attention is now on the disciples' He loves them and he cares for them deeply. He intervenes on their behalf. He is literally substituting himself for them. Take me and let them go. John is referring to a prophetic word spoken by Jesus. John six thirty nine, And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of those he has given me but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. What was true then is true now. He will lose none. All who believe in him will be saved. Whatever has been entrusted to Jesus will be 100% safe. Jesus is totally trustworthy. He is worth trusting with everything you have and everything you ever will have. In a word, he can slay an army. In a word, he can raise the dead. In a word, he can still the storm. How can you not believe in a person like that? What kind of man is this man? Someone you can believe in. Someone you can trust with your life and possessions. Whatever capital you give to Jesus is guaranteed 100% safe. Jesus will always deliver, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Finally, there's a bit of a scuffle and the impetuous Peter can contain himself no longer. And he lunges his sword towards the high priest's servant's head, cutting off his ear. Jesus brings calm by commanding Peter to put the sword away and says, shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Even when his own friends try to protect him and avert what they see as a tragic turn of events, Jesus ensures that nothing, nothing would derail his own arrest. Nothing would cause him to lose those the father had given him. The other gospels record that Jesus healed this man's ear. By doing so, it would have adverted Peter's arrest for attempted murder. No doubt, though, if the man had died from a stab wound to his head, Jesus would have brought him back to life. Nothing would have stopped Jesus from obeying the Father and giving his life freely so that all may believe in him and have eternal life. When they arrested Jesus, they bound him and took him away. John wrote it in uh, chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. See, John recorded just some things for a specific reason and purpose. He performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. You can't say it all. I can't say it all this morning. He couldn't write it all. There's so much about Jesus. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in his name, you may have life. In what? In his name. Do you believe that God loves you so much that he sent his only Son Into the world to give you new life? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Great I Am, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, your Maker, your God, your King, your Saviour, and your Judge? Do you believe that whatever you entrust to Jesus, He will be faithful to His Word? Do you believe Jesus has the power and authority to do whatever you ask according to His will? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to ensure that your Bible is accurate and true? Do you believe that Jesus has a plan for your life? Do you believe that Jesus will ensure you live with him forever? Do you believe Jesus knows who you'll marry? Do you believe Jesus knows the day you will die? Do you believe Jesus knows the desires of your heart? Do you believe Jesus has the authority over climate change? Do you believe Jesus has the authority over nuclear power? Do you believe Jesus has the authority over rogue world leaders? Do you believe Jesus has the power to make all things new? Do you believe that he will return in the same way we saw him go? Do you believe in the name of Jesus
0: Lord God, our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you through the Lord Jesus, that he has cleansed us of all of our sins, that we can praise your name, we can see that you are on the throne, that you reign, and we trust in you. Help us to trust in you each day. Father God, we we praise your holy name for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you because of him. Help us to to come to you in praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen.